A familiar face is back. Hi, Chris. Heather, what are you doing here? And an old relationship is getting new life. Would you marry me? I'm Jared Hall from Entertainment Weekly, and here's what to watch on Monday, February 8th. We're heading back to Bachelor Nation for our number three pick today, where the twists just keep on coming. If you thought the drama might die down a bit with Victoria's departure last week, you thought wrong. This week, MJ and Jacinia's two-on-one date comes to an explosive conclusion, cocktail parties are called off, and a group date gets unexpectedly competitive. Fortunately, Matt and Piper get to take a break with a romantic carnival date but there's still another game-changing development in store. Here's a preview. You're lighting all these little fires everywhere. You are the freaking arsonist. I'm just so over the drama. Everyone thought that was a relationship with Matt. (gasps) I like going at it. I just hate caring this much and not knowing what it's all for. Bro, there's so much I don't even know where to start. (laughs) This cannot be happening. You're pathetic. I have nothing to say to you. It didn't have to come to this. Uh, Hi, Chris. Heather, what are you doing here? You could honestly destroy this whole thing for Matt. That's right, Heather Martin, who you may remember from Colton Underwood's season, arrives unexpectedly to shake up the season, as if the season needed shaking up. She's not the only Bachelor franchise alum to appear on this episode either. Matt's BFF and Bachelorette season 15 runner-up Tyler Cameron stops by to help ease the tension a bit. Not too much, though. We still need some tension for the cameras. That all kicks off at 8 p.m. on ABC. Moving from Bachelor Nation to the state of Texas, today's number two pick is 911 Lone Star, where the 126 is getting a bit tied up this week. Or the people they're helping are, anyway. In tonight's episode, the 126 helps out when a wedding comes crumbling down, literally, as Grace helps a dominatrix involved in a shocking situation. Elsewhere, Owen and his ex Gwyneth have some trouble labeling their new relationship, and a man from Marjan's past, played by guest star Mina Masood of Disney's Aladdin, re-enters her life. Here's a clip. What would the parents say if they could see us now? My dad would show all your Firefox videos to the waiter. Five million likes this one, and we used to walk her to the nursery school. <laughs> your parents are the best. Yeah. I miss them. How have they been? Much better lately. Other than giving me the bi-weekly full-court press on grandkids. Thanks again, by the way, for leaving me with both sets and running off to a different time zone. You will always be my hero for holding down the fort. I feel like a Jordanian Davy Crockett defending the Alamo and no reinforcements are coming. (laughs) Yeah, there's some baggage to unpack there. You can see how it all goes down at 9 p.m. on Fox. It's trivia time. Speaking of Mina Masood, today's trivia question is about Aladdin. What iconic British actor has said turning down the role of Jafar in the 1992 animated film is the biggest regret of his career? Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, or Jeremy Irons? Stick around for the answer. All February long, we are celebrating black performers and artistry for Black History Month with binge recommendations, as well as picks from EW staff, stars, and filmmakers. Today, we're highlighting the CW series All American, which is new tonight. 
Joining me now to talk about All American is EW's Alman Johannes. And Alman has uh, covered this show for us. You should check out his fantastic article on EW.com about how this show in particular explores the experiences of black youth in America. And Alan, I really want to um, dig into that a little bit more. Um, for you, what is really at the heart of this show that makes you relate to it so much? When you watch All American, you get a nice collection of different types of stories about the Black experience. It isn't necessarily set in one particular neighborhood or with one family. You get a real mix of experiences. And with a combination of stories being set in Crenshaw and Beverly Hills in particular, within the football world and outside of the football world, you do get a nice mix of stories and experiences. They incorporate kind of the music industry, family stories, more neighborhood stories. There's a lot going on there, and I think there's a, it's a nice to see that mix in a way that I haven't really seen in a lot of different shows that I've watched over the years. Mm-hmm. And and for those who aren't familiar with the show, this follows uh, this this teen athlete Spencer James, played by Daniel Ezra, who he he's uh, lives in Crenshaw, growing up there. But he transfers schools, starts going to Beverly Hills to kind of increase his chances of being able to uh, get into a good college and to help realize his dreams of being in the NFL. In this third season, he has gone back to Crenshaw because he actually does it and sees it as a way to help his local community and his school because uh, they're under the threat of students not being able to go there anymore because it may become a a magnet school. So, um, and that has presented a whole new set of challenges, right? Yeah. And so essentially, based on the life of Spencer Paysinger, Spencer James goes to Beverly Hills just to get a better shot at the NFL. You know, it's kind of his mom's idea in hopes that he'll better his chances. And he sees this opportunity to go back to Crenshaw and really help out his community. It really opens up the show in an interesting way because in the first two seasons, he's leaving home and going to a new place, but they're still telling stories back home. And now that we've gotten to know the Beverly Hills characters, they're kind of carrying that story a little bit more while he's back in Crenshaw. And so it's nice to kind of get that feeling of you know everyone now and they can kind of mix it up in that way. So it does shake the show up in an interesting way, but also feels in line with the stories they've been telling. It feels in line with, you know, Spencer having always thought about Crenshaw when he was in Beverly Hills, this is not a show where he leaves for better pastures and is like, oh, you know, forget about my hometown. But he is always thinking about Crenshaw and I think that's the truest when he decides to go back home. They're in a tough spot. His school's in a tough spot. The people he grew up with, you know, who he was going to school with up until he left to go to Beverly Hills, they need him and he sees what he can bring in terms of, you know, his status as a football player. Like he's built a name for himself going to Beverly and doing well. And so he's like, I'm going to take all that back home and help, you know, my neighborhood, my, the people that, the kids that I knew growing up in the neighborhood that I know and love. What is something that has been shown or portrayed on this show that you were surprised to see? Something that you haven't seen on, on other shows dealing with black characters and the black experience? Oh, that's very easy. They're, in the second season, they do Cotillion. Oh, yeah. Um, black, black Cotillion. And it's this like really great storyline with Samantha Logan's character, Olivia, who is coming to terms with what, you know, being a black person, a, a black youth growing up, being in Beverly Hills and seeing what's happening in the world. And she wants to get more involved. While she's hesitant at first, she joins this organization and it kind of sparks this journey where she becomes more involved in social justice. She has a podcast. There's all these things happening. And the culmination of that is a celebration. All right. And so it's, you know, Black Italian Deputy Ball. It's not a thing that I've ever really seen be centered around black people. You may have 
you know, a mix of, you have a person of color in the mix, but it's predominantly white people that I've seen in these kind of scenes in television and film. And so they're just part of this really fantastic dance number that several of the characters are in. And it's just like, it's this very nice, specific experience that I've never seen before. And it is a really great example of how the show does balance the the you know black joy and also some of the harsh realities of the experience of black youth in america because some of the you know there's there's some tragedy that happens at the end of that episode but in that moment is just this wonderful joyous experience where you get a nice dance break with football players and you know some of the other characters it's a fun moment for people who are watching the show but also a fun thing to include in the stories being told about black people black youth on television mm-hmm. and of course this current season uh they they couldn't not address Black Lives Matter. So how is that figuring in to season three? So we haven't seen the storyline begin yet, but um, from conversation with the showrunner, we will be seeing a story that deals with um, black people or some of the black youth on the show dealing with police officers. We have seen some of that in past seasons, um, but this time because Laura Baker, who is one of the characters on the show, she's become district attorney, and her daughter, Olivia, who I had mentioned, they're all kind of involved in social justice in different ways. Laura with her job, Olivia with kind of her passion and personal passions. Uh, and so that kind of is in line with what they're doing now and kind of adds a different layer to it from a storytelling perspective. The show has always kind of spoken truth around racial inequality and racial identity and really authentic in the portrayal of black youth in America, whether that is kind of the harsher, darker storylines and some of the um, difficulties black people go through in America, or as I mentioned, the cotillion and the debutante ball, fun and joyous things. So I think in line, we're getting a little balanced. We haven't gotten there just yet, um, but yeah, that's on the way. Well, everyone can catch up with the entire show right now pretty easily. It's available on Netflix, the first two seasons, and season three airs Monday nights, 8 o'clock on The CW. And, of course, do check out Alleman's article all about how this show handles the black experience on EW.com. Thanks so much, Alleman. No problem. Anytime. Our number one pick is coming up next. What to Watch will be right back. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to EW's What to Watch. This week in entertainment history, on February 8th, 1965, the song Stop in the Name of Love by the Supremes was released and quickly became the latest in a string of hits for the Motown group, with their most famous lineup consisting of Florence Ballard, Mary Wilson, and lead singer Diana Ross. The Supremes remain the most successful American vocal group in history, with 12 number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100. Stop in the Name of Love was one of those singles, holding the number one position for the week of March 27, 1965. And now we're suiting up for today's number one pick, Black Lightning. The CW superhero show is kicking off its fourth 
and final season tonight, with Jefferson still mourning the loss of his best friend Bill Henderson, who died in the season three finale's climactic battle. It seems our hero might be done with being Black Lightning, at least for now. Here's a clip from the season premiere. It just feels like you've abandoned us. Just left us to do this on our own. Abandoned? Do you even think maybe you abandoned me? You left me and the girls. Okay, you're back now. Good for you, but but I lost my brother. So where's the compassion, the tenderness, the understanding? No, you just went right back to the lab like nothing happened. Something happened, Lynn. Anissa and Jennifer are out there. They need your help and they need your guidance. Yeah, I tried to give them guidance. They never listened. And what have I ever not been there for my girls? Don't, don't bring them into this just to make your point. As you can probably tell from that clip, Jefferson and Lynn are also still struggling to see eye to eye. Also noteworthy, this season of Black Lightning will see a reduced role for actress China Ann McLean, who plays Lightning, a.k.a. Jennifer Pierce, and who planned to exit the show after this season before the series was canceled. The reasons for her exit are unclear, but regardless, McLean will appear in a limited number of episodes this season. Also, though tonight's episode marks the beginning of the end for Black Lightning, there's a new beginning ahead. This season's seventh episode will be a backdoor pilot for a spinoff centered on Jordan Calloway's painkiller, a.k.a. Khalil Payne. The potential series would follow a guilt-ridden Khalil as he leaves his loved ones in Freeland behind in an attempt to find peace. But peace doesn't come easy for him, and he's soon thrust back into action. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Black Lightning Season 4 premieres tonight at 9 on The CW. And lastly today, the answer to today's trivia question, what iconic British actor has said not voicing Jafar in Aladdin is the biggest regret of his career? Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, or Jeremy Irons? The line must be drawn here, because it's time for the answer, Sir Patrick Stewart. The actor actually turned down several Disney roles throughout the 90s due to scheduling conflicts with Star Trek The Next Generation, but he regrets missing out on playing Jafar most of all. That is our show for today. We'll have more news and must-see picks for you tomorrow. Be sure to rate and review the show, and of course, follow or subscribe to What to Watch so you don't miss our daily recommendations, more of which can be found at EW.com. I'm senior TV editor Jared Hall. You can find us on Twitter at EW, and I'm at Jared Hall. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. What to Watch. What to Watch is written by Tyler Akalina, edited and produced by Joshua Heller, produced and hosted by Jared Hall, and executive produced by Shana Naomi Krokmal and Carly Usden.